Good afternoon. Long time no see. Um, yes. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder where I've been all my life. Um, I'd like to talk about certain principles from the Word of God. The title of the message is, And Jesus Stood Still. And Jesus Stood Still. Um, If you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, I want to go through, just to begin with, certain laws or rules in the Bible. There's there's, um, a law of gravity that God has instituted into place, and it states that everything that goes up Must must come down. And there's laws like that in the Word of God. There's a lot of things that you can trust, that you can pretty much bet your life on, as just as secure as if you try to jump and reach heaven, it will never happen, meaning you will always come down. Um, In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, Hebrews chapter 12, actually, let's, um, let's read verse 1. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Doing what? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. This concept of looking unto Jesus has always fascinated me, um, to look to Jesus. And the reason I guess it fascinated me or intrigued me a little bit is because I can't see Jesus, right? Can you? I mean, physically. Um, So all of this concept is by faith. I need to see Jesus by faith. But look to Jesus, it says. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. I have noticed that in the Bible, there are certain things that start happening when you look to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Laws just like gravity, that, that automatically happens. The first one is found in John chapter 12. This is a verse that maybe many of you know, but it's a law just like gravity. Like what comes up must come down or what goes up must come down. In John 12:32, it's another law that is established. Jesus saying, John 12:32, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will what? Draw all men unto me. And so this is a law exactly like gravity, but instead of going (coughs) vertical, yeah, what's that? Vertical, it goes horizontal. Something happens when you lift Christ up, whether by your lifestyle, whether by your words, or whatever it may be, something has to happen. The person is drawn. You know that. Even though the person is not reacting, the person has a poker face, as they would say, you know something is happening, has to happen. Why? Because what goes up must come down. And if Christ is lifted up, what happens? You must be drawn automatically. And if they do not do anything, they will automatically be drawn. Unfortunately, most of us resist and try to go the other way. So if you look to Jesus, the first principle of looking to Jesus, you will be drawn automatically. That something that will happen. The second one is found in Second Corinthians chapter three. Another very popular verse. Second Corinthians chapter three, 
and we're looking at verse 18. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And so the second thing that happens when you look to Jesus, you are changed. This is a law that, that is universal in its application. I've seen young people look at a movie star or a singer or a basketball player and you go into their room and there's posters all over the place and they dress like them and they talk like them and they act like them. Why? Because the more that you behold something, that's the way God made us, the more we are changed. So number one, look to Jesus because if you look to Jesus, you will be drawn. Number two, Look to Jesus, because when you look to Jesus, you will be changed. And another, the third one principle is found in Numbers chapter 21. In Numbers chapter 21, it speaks also about looking to a symbol, as it were, of Christ. In Numbers 21, and we're looking at verse 8, the children of Israel are murmuring against God and against Moses. And so God takes away His protections and all these snakes start coming in and biting people and killing them by the hundreds or thousands, I think it is. And Moses, in verse 8, And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent or a brazen serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall what? Shall live. Look to Jesus because when you look to Jesus, you are drawn. Look to Jesus because when you look to Jesus, you are changed. Look to Jesus because when you look to Jesus, you are healed, spiritually healed completely from sin. In Revelations chapter 3, if you can turn with me, we find a problem, however. I just know in my life, I just know if I can look to Jesus, I will be drawn. I will be changed. <laughs> I will be healed. But Genesis chapter 3, there's a little problem that comes up, and it's in verse 16. Jesus is speaking to the Laodicean church. Let's start with verse 15. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that word, I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art what? Lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with good and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and what? And blind. So I just know if I could just look to Jesus, I will be drawn. I will be changed. I will be healed. But there's a problem. <laughs> According to what the Bible tells me, and I believe that the Laodicean church is me and you, no? Doesn't it apply to our church in these last days? There's a big problem. What's the big problem? You're blind. You can't see. Blind. And you know that if you could see, things could start happening. <laughs> I don't think the problem is so much that you're blind. I think the problem is that you don't know that you're blind. We are blind, but we don't know it. I remember when I was in elementary school. I don't know why I remember these things, but I was in the class and I was sitting and this girl went to use the bathroom. 
And when she came back in, the whole class just started bawling in tears, just laughing. And what had happened is, <laughs> she, she had a, somehow she had, you know, whatever, and there was a toilet paper going all the way down the hall <laughs> that was attached to her. And it was just, you know, I think, and everyone was just laughing, you know, and she's like, what, what? And that just made it even more funny, you know, because she doesn't know what's happening and everybody's just cracking up. And she took it well in the end. But the problem was not the toilet paper attached to her sock or wherever it was. The problem was that she did not know. Because if she knew, she could have done something about it, right? But the big issue was not that there was toilet paper going down the hall. The problem was that she didn't know there was toilet paper. And this is the problem that God is saying with us. You are blind, and if you could see, things could start happening in your life. You could really start changing. You know, you could really start being drawn, and, and really, I could really heal you if you could just see, but you don't see. And that's not really the big issue. The big problem is that you think you see when you don't. A few years back, I had an opportunity to go to Thailand on a mission trip. And I remember visiting a school for the blind. And it was about 100, 200 young children. I'm talking about cute little children, just cute, all the way up to 15, 16 years old. And when they came in, this big auditorium where we were having a, um, I guess it was a choir, we were singing, and they were all holding hands, and all because none of them could see. And they would all follow one another. And the teacher was in the, the front, being the eyes for the whole, you know. And so they would go in a big thing, and then whenever they would stop, then everybody, that's the cue that you can sit down. And... It just really impressed me because I had never seen so many blind people in one place, especially little children. And it, one of them had composed a, a song to the king. They have a king in Thailand and they really love their king. And one of the child, and so what they decided to do, they decided to sing that song for us. And I was almost in tears as one of the peop, young men that was blind sat on the piano and started playing. And you have all these children that can't see and they're just singing their heart out with with so much joy and as I was looking at their faces with so much joy and the wonderful smile and so much happiness I thought about it I said man do these kids know that they are blind do they know that it's not normal what they're experiencing because everybody else is blind around them <laughs> You know, I thought about that. I thought about that every single one of these children that were born blind, one day, mommy had to sit them down on her knees. I don't know at what stage, but one day, mommy had to sit them down and explain to them what it meant to be blind and what it meant to see. That not everyone is like you, Billy. That... I'm not like you. Daddy's not like you. You are different. And let me explain to you how it's different. Because when you're born blind, this is all you know. 
and you're a baby and you can't talk. And so there comes a point where mommy has to sit you down and say, listen, I'm telling you, if I were a parent, I don't know, I would probably cry. <laughs> I don't know, how can you explain to your kid that, Billy, um, you can't see? What do you mean I can't see? Well, like, you know like how you can touch things? Well, mommy can actually see what she touches. What, do you, what, is, what does it mean to see? Well, to see is actually to... I don't know what they would say, right? But there had to come a point where you had to tell them that they can't see. And from that day on, every day, every day, they are reminded that they cannot see. Every day that they wake up, and they have to have someone to help them to know what to put on. Every day they wake up, and they have to look for the spoon or the bowl, and they have to wait for food to be put in their plate because they don't know where to go and get it. Every day they have to be led by the hand to the bathroom. They are reminded that they are blind. Every day. Every time they run, and children run. I have a little boy, and he's crawling all over the place. But every day that they run, and they hit something, and they fall, it's a reminder that they are blind. Every time they hear mommy's voice, but don't see her face, they are reminded they are blind. But we are blind. And we don't know that we are blind. Amazing. They know they are blind. God is telling us, just like that little mommy, sitting down her little Billy, one day in his life, when she seems to realize that his comprehension is there, sits Billy down and explains to Billy, listen, you're blind. This is exactly what God is doing in Revelation chapter 3. He's saying, come here, sit down. Let me talk with you a little bit. You don't know it, but you are blind. And let me explain to you what it means to be blind. In Mark chapter 10, if you can turn there with me. In Mark chapter 10, there's a story of a blind man. And I praise God that God can heal blind people, amen? And I believe that He can still heal us today. The story is a story of Bartimaeus. In verse 46 of chapter 10 of Mark, it says, And they, meaning Jesus and disciples, came to Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. I don't think the Bible puts anything, or nothing is in the Bible as a coincidence. Jesus healed hundreds of people, but very few of them have their names written of who He healed. And here it's not only that it's the name Bartimaeus, but it's the son of Timaeus. So Timaeus must have been somebody that everybody knew because they put it in here. And maybe he was a man of influence, maybe he was a man of wealth, I don't know. But one thing is for sure that Bartimaeus was begging. So obviously either the parents had passed away or they had left him off to be whatever. And the only way he could live was to beg. So he's abandoned, he's begging, and he's blind. But Bartimaeus was different than us. Bartimaeus was different than the Laodicean church. Is that although he was blind, he was tired of being blind. He was tired of being blind. And this is a concept I would like us to grasp 
today. Because he was tired of being blind, he cried unto God. The Bible tells us in verse 7, 47, And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should just be quiet. But he cried the more a great deal. So this is not something that he did just once. But he said, Jesus, have mer- be quiet. Jesus, have- be quiet. Jesus, I said, be- Jesus, have mercy. And nobody could shut him up. <laughs> because he was tired of being blind. And he just wanted to see. And he just wanted to see. Friends, some of us, need to come to that point. Let me explain to you what I believe is spiritual blindness and don't know it. For some of you, when you first experience the surrender of your heart to God, the joy that filled your heart that day, when you first were as excited about the Word of God and about following Him, and some of you can attest to that but something has happened since then for some of us there are sins that when we used to commit them used to make us cry and we felt so guilty but for some of us now we can commit sins and we don't feel that guilt anymore there is no tear shed there is no guilt felt We can hear the story from the cross and it doesn't move us as it used to move us. And so that spiritual blindness that I believe is talking about is that you are blind, you are lost, but you don't care. What do I mean? You know, (laughs) if you are struggling spiritually, if you don't have that zeal and that fervor that you once had, If you are committing sin and you don't sense the guilt, you commit sin and you you hear the gospel and the good news and it does not move your heart. If you really cared, and if I really cared, I would stay on my knees and plead with God until I was right with Him. You understand? Meaning if I really cared about my salvation, I would not walk out of my room. I would not even go to work. I would make sure that I had that assurance and that peace that God is with me. But we get up and we go to breakfast and we run and we do this. And what is telling God is that I'm lost and really I, I really don't care. <laughs> I mean, I do care, but, you know, not enough to really, you know, I mean, I don't really have time. And so I, I'm lost and I don't care. And what we need to do is what Bartimaeus did. It's to say, God, don't play with God and say, Lord, I love you. And if you don't love him, if you don't fully keep his commandments, don't. (laughs) You have to be real with God. You say, Lord, I used to feel guilty when I committed this sin, when I lost my temper, when I used to do this. But I, Lord, I don't. I used to enjoy spending time in your word. I, I couldn't wait to come back home and to spend time in the Bible, but... Now I barely read anything and I, and I find it boring. 
Lord, I used to love to listen to your word preached. It used to move my heart. But Lord, I sit there and I listen and, and I've heard it all before. It doesn't change me. And so, Lord, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me because I'm lost and I don't care. That is what we need to start weeping. I am lost and I don't really care. I'm really lost and I know I'm lost. I'm not where I ought to be. I'm struggling with issues in my life, but I'm not fervent enough to really stay on my knees until I experience that peace, to study until I truly see the light and see the glory of God. And so Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me because I'm lost and really in the end, I don't really care. I knew if I care, I know if I really cared, I would be drawn. I knew if I could really see, I would be changed. I would be healed. But there's something that is keeping me from experiencing that deeper experience with you. There were many people in that crowd that day. Hundreds, maybe thousands of people. I think the next four words are one of the most beautiful words in the Bible. In verse 49, it begins by saying, And Jesus stood still. There were hundreds, maybe thousands of people, but Jesus only stood still for one man that day. And it is the man that realized that he's blind. He cannot see. He's not even kidding that he's being drawn. He's not being drawn. He's not kidding that he's being changed. He's not being changed. He's not kidding that he's being healed. He's not being healed. And he knows that. But he's tired of being blind. And so he's crying, and he won't let anybody or anything stand in his way. And there's one man, only one man whom God stops for. And Jesus stood still. Friends, sometimes I look at my own life, and I see with all of the truth that I know, with all that God has done for me, and bless me with. And to see how I treat Christ sometimes. Sometimes I wonder if there's hope for me. But when I feel in despair, and I feel that I have lost that connection with God, I turn back to this text and I'm reminded that if you just cry out to God, Jesus will stand still for you. And right now, maybe there's hundreds, maybe thousands of people that are praying to God at this one moment. Many people claim Him as their God. And I don't know what God is doing in heaven. Maybe books are being opened and He's taking care of Barack Obama. I don't know what He's doing. (laughs) But He's doing all kinds of stuff. But I can just picture it in my mind as I'm in my closet and I feel despair because I know I should be way up here in my spiritual life, but I'm still struggling with some of the same things for years. And I don't sense the guilt that I should, and I don't sense the love for Him that I should, and I kneel and I plead with God and I cry. I don't cry because of my sins, but I cry because I realize that my condition is so bad and I don't really care. And I want that to change. And I can just imagine... God with all of His committees and whatever and thousands and thousands and ten thousands of angels worshiping Him. He says, stop the music. 
stop, stop, stop. And I can just imagine him stopping everything and standing still because one soul is tired of being blind. It's amazing how much Jesus loves us, friends. If we could only realize how much love Jesus has for us, that if you are the only soul, he would do that for you. The Bible tells us that Jesus called this man unto him and says, what do you want me to do for you? The man didn't say, I want a million dollars. Some of us might say that. Lord, if you can just pay my bills, I would be the happiest man in the world. By the way, I would be happy (laughs) if that happened. (laughs) He could have said a lot of things. Lord, I just want to live in a big house. I want food for the rest of my life. That's all I'm asking. But that's not what he asked for. He said, Lord, I want to see. That's all. I don't want money. I don't want food. I don't want shelter. I don't want clothing. I don't want reputation. I don't want anything. I just want to see. Friends, Jesus will stand still for those kind of people. That their only truest concern is to be able to see God. Because he knew if I could only see Christ, I can be drawn. I can be changed. Things can happen. But just let me see. That's all I'm asking from you. And in verse 52, And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way. Thy faith has made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Friends, I want to end on God's love. I want to end on God's love. We serve a God not only that loves us, that has so much resources to be able to make us happy. I remember when I was five years old, I think it was. At the time, I was living in Quebec and my my parents sent me to the only school I think was in the area was a Catholic school. And I remember one of my greatest dreams when I would go to school is that one day I could be able to buy a cookie. (laughs) They had these big cookies, like oatmeal cookies, 50 cents. And for me, you know, my parents were like healthy type people and they would pack our healthy lunch and healthy this and to the point we were ashamed to eat our lunch sometimes in front of... I thank them now because I'm, I'm healthy, amen? But back then, you know, whole wheat, you know, and back then it was not popular. <laughs> Is it popular today? I don't know. No. <laughs> and I remember that was one of my dreams. When you're a child, you have dreams that one day I can come to school and I can buy a cookie and just be like everybody else. <laughs> and I don't know how or when or where... But I remember that one day, many months after school started, it was in winter, I was able to get 50 cents. And I knew that that day, I was going to buy a cookie. And I remember like it was yesterday, I grabbed the 50 cents and I put it, and I put my, this was winter in Canada. By the way, we have a lot of snow in Canada. It was snow everywhere. And I remember I put my mittens on, but I held the quarters in my mitten. Because I knew if I just keep it there, I will not, I'm not going to lose this thing. You know, I've been waiting for months for this. And so the buses all pulled into the yard along with me and one of them. And we came out and we played all over the place. 
And I remember the bell rang. And my first thought, my 50 cents. And I clung, and there was nothing there. (laughs) I cannot describe the anguish, (laughs) the pain (laughs) that went through my heart. And by the way, this is a little commercial, but friends, if ever you have children or you deal with children, their problems is just as big as yours. And we are told in the spirit of prophecy that in their sight is just as big. You, you have to pay the bills and you have to do this and that. And he's crying, why? Because he's hungrier. But in their sight is just as big as yours and sometimes even bigger because they're not as emotional sta- emotionally stable as you are. And so you have to be patient with them and also take the time to point them to Jesus. Anyways, commercial ended. I remember no quarters and panic. Literally, I started just going. And when I say there's snow in Canada, where where I come from, you know, there's like, and even in front of my house, it was this much snow by the time you shoveled it and all. It was, and I was going, and the yard was huge. And I was going through, and I played all over the place and frantic. I was looking all and digging everywhere for. And it was like looking for a needle in a haystack. I, there's no way I was going to find it before spring. When spring would come, I'm sure someone else would find it for me, right? <laughs> and I remember like if it was yesterday, I'm going through it. And I look up. And I see the last person going into the school. And I'm alone in the whole field. And I literally, I'm ashamed to say it today, But I literally bawled and just wept for 50 cents. (laughs) It was one of the saddest days of my life. (laughs) You know, a few years later, I remember this, this experience and I went to my dad. My dad wasn't the minister, he wasn't earning that much money, but he was earning enough, I guess. And just a thought struck me. I said, Daddy, you know, back then, whatever, how much did you earn? So he told me, you know, 30000 40000 something like that. And so I went to my calculator and I calculated. Wow. Back then, my dad was earning one hundred and thirty thousand quarters and I was crying for two any day I know I could have gone to dad I says dad listen you earn a hundred and thirty thousands of these I'm not asking for a thousand one hundred all I want is two just two that's it and I can tell you guaranteed my dad would have given me the two no questions asked But here I was in a field, weeping my eyes out, completely devastated. The world is completely coming to an end. I've lost two quarters, and at home, my dad has 130,000 of them waiting if I just ask. Friends, what's my point? Jesus stood still for that one man. 
because it was only that one man that day that cried out. If I had just cried out, I would have received, but I never cried out to my father. It's not that my father didn't have it. My father had more than enough to give me. It's just I never cried out. And you know what? You can go through your whole life and Jesus may never stand still for you because you never cry out. But if one day you stop and you realize, look, I am lost and you know, I don't really care as much as I should about my spiritual condition. But I am tired of feeling indifferent toward the way I am spiritually. If you actually stop and you start crying and persevering, crying and weeping not because you feel that you need spiritual food, you're crying and weeping because you don't feel that you need spiritual growth. You just feel okay and you know that's wrong and you know you need to change. Jesus will stand still for you, friends. Jesus will stand still for you. And not only will He stand still, but He has enough resources to draw you, to change you, to heal you. We serve an awesome God. An awesome God. Let us pray. Our Father in Heaven, Lord, so many years ago, You stood still for that one man. That one man. There were hundreds, thousands that were going around you that day. But there's only one man whom you stood still for. There was a man that realized that he was blind. Father, you have told us that we are the Laodicean church. And you have even described our spiritual condition. And today we are crying to you crying to you not because we realize our spiritual condition, but because we do not realize it. And we realize that that is such a dangerous place to stand. Father, we want to see. We want to see because we know that if we can see, we will be changed, we will be healed, we will be drawn. We want to see. And we believe according to what you've presented in the Word that you have more than enough resources to give us our sight, to allow us to change. So this afternoon, that is our prayer. Our prayer is that we may realize your love for us. Our prayer is that we will cry unto you. And Lord, our prayer is also that as we do so, that you will stand still for us, that you will have mercy upon us while thousands upon you are calling. Please do not pass us by. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.